Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcasts. This week, we wrap up our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message, the 24th in the series, is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, The Top 10 Lessons for Our Future. Well, uh, today is the very last message. We've been in this series forever, right? For uh, six months, I think it is. Uh, We've had 23 messages. This is number 24. Believe it or not, that's actually fast. The last church I was in, we took 33 to go through 1 Corinthians, so I've improved since then. But uh, uh, it's been an amazing journey. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved, uh, loved it every week, just coming alongside the Apostle Paul as he kind of comes alongside this highly dysfunctional church, this Church of Corinth, and says, you know, no, you're doing life the wrong way. Here's what you need to do. Change the way you think. Now, I don't know if you remember, but um, way back when we started this series, when Paul first brought the message to the church at Corinth, um, they'd had an amazing uh, encounter with God. God had shown up in a big way. They'd come to Christ, powerful conversion experience. Had all kinds of spiritual gifts, all kinds of spiritual experiences. But the fact was, uh, even though they had this great start, they didn't grow up in their faith. And they didn't learn to change the way they, they, would think, they thought about life. And so basically, they're doing life the same way as the culture around them. And they had the same exact problems as the culture around them. And so when we started this series, I don't know if you remember this, but we, picked, we started with a verse not in 1 Corinthians, but in the book of Romans. And I'd like to go back there to Romans chapter 12, where we launched this series and end with this verse today. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Yeah, I'm loving this rain because our house smells so smoky, you know, and it's just kind of, it's wetting down the hills and hopefully getting rid of that, and uh, so we've got a block party tonight after the service. It just happens to be like a, a progressive dinner thing, and so it'll be interesting talking to everyone there, and like, we got home from the fire, and it was like, hey, do we need to, you know, I, I'm in on the way home, seriously, I'm like, I'm telling them, where is that? Last year, we bought, did that CD thing where you, you uh, kind of took digital pictures of your whole in, uh, contents of your house to so be ready. If it came to fire, now, where's that thing? And I'm saying, I'm going to have to park here and kind of run in. They're not going to let us drive in. So, in- exciting day. Uh, <laughs> and then I went home, and after about an hour, I took a nap. And Lynn said, how can you do this? How can you take a nap? I'm like, the danger is over. I'm tired. <laughs> She's like, you're crazy. <laughs> She's sitting up in our bedroom. Every blind is open. She's walking. I think it's still smoldering. Yeah, it's still smoldering. They got guys out there. What do we pay them for? I'm sure they'll do a good job. I'm going to sleep. Uh, anyway, Romans chapter 12. This is where he started this series in verse 2. He says, Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He says, this world that we live in, this culture, it has a way of doing life. It has a way of thinking about life. It has a way of approaching life. He says, don't conform, don't be like this culture around us, but instead be transformed. And remember that word? We talked about the word metamorphosis comes out of it, the, the Greek word metamorpho, that we need to change like the way the, uh, a caterpillar changes to become a butterfly or the way a tadpole changes to become a frog. So we need to be changed. We need to be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. Catch that transformation comes in our life as we change the way we think. He says, and once you've changed the way you think, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, you'll be able to experience in your life what God's will is for your life. And this is his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So you catch this? That God has a plan for your life. He's got a will for my life. It's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. 
But for you to experience it, for I to experience, guess what? We've got to change the way we think. As long as we think and approach life like the world around us, we can be followers of Jesus, but we'll never experience his, his will for our life. And that's what had happened to the Corinthians. These, uh, they had, uh, if you said, well, are they followers of Jesus? Absolutely. But their lives are entirely messed up, right? We saw this as possible. It's possible for you and I, it's possible for us to come to Christ, to have a true conversion experience, to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, to even receive new spiritual gifts or whatever we have, to really, and yet to never change the way we think. And as a result, we have the same issues and the same problems as our culture around us. And so Paul comes along to them, and we've, we've gone with them now on this journey, haven't we? Week by week, and chapter by chapter, we've, said, we've looked at issue after issue of their life as they've gone through. And we've looked at the, uh, the, the results of them not changing the way they think. We've looked at things like their pride and their arrogance and their broken relationships. We've looked at sexual impurity. We looked at problems in their marriages. We've looked at um, the problems in the church, fighting over spiritual gifts, going back to the old ways, pagan things, immorality things, just their whole life, even that false teaching was starting to happen there. Because although they'd given their life to Christ, in theory, they'd never changed the way that they thought. So, so what we want to do, Paul says, is that now if you're going to be changed, you have to, to change the way you think. And so here's what we're going to do. In the time we have today, we're going to do a couple things. Number one is I want to go over kind of Pastor Mike's, my top ten uh, lessons from this, okay? We're not going to do it in reverse like the Letterman Show or something, but we'll just do them in order. There's no particular order to them. But um, I want to talk about the ten top lessons, and here's why. Often in my life, I've been a part of teaching through series, long books, and by the time you get to the end, you really can't even remember the beginning. It's taken so long. And so you just get done, and you just get done, and you go, okay, that's it. That's the last message. We're done. Next week starts a new series. And I always felt like it'd be fun at the end to stand back and say, let's stand back and say, no, what have we learned from this? Let's, let's tie it all together. Let's put the bow on the package so we can take it away with us. So I want to identify 10 of the top lessons from this, this thing that I think are incredibly important for us, not only individually, but as a church, as we move into our future together, as we lay a foundation for our future. And then at the end of this service, we're going to come back, though, and we're going to have a time before the Lord. We're going to have a time of communion. It's going to be a time for reflection, for us to reflect both individually and as a church, saying, okay, are there any areas of our life as a church right now, as followers of Jesus, where right now we need to change the way we think? That we've, we've heard the teaching, we've followed the teaching, we've, we've, we've got it down, but now do we need to make any changes in the way that we do life? And so at the end of this service, we're going to have a chance to come together, to take communion together, to reflect on that, and just have a time to commit before the Lord as a church that we want to change the way we think. We want to no longer just think the way the world thinks, but we want to say, okay, as we move into our future, we want to take the word of God in one hand, we want to move in the the future, and as we go together, say, when there's times where our opinions and our traditions and the way we've been taught and the way we've always done it, when those conflict with the word of God, do we want to be a church that says, we're going with the word of God. We're willing to change the way we think if it conflicts with the teaching of Jesus, okay? So let's jump in. There in your note sheet, you have 10 sections, well, uh, 10, uh, 10 top lessons. Obviously, we won't spend a lot of time at any of them. We've gone over them. Hopefully, you've been here for most of the series, and so you've followed along. If not, and you want to learn more about it, then just get that week's tape uh, or whatever, and then you'll be able to learn more about it, okay? So let's go in. Number one. The first lesson is to be uh, countercultural. The first thing we learned is that we're going to follow Jesus. We need to be countercultural people, and what that means is that we have to go against the flow. 
And, and for every one of these, I'll have sort of a, a kind of a key word or a couple words and then a tagline, a, a little soundbite. So the first thing we learn is that we have to be countercultural. We have to go against the flow. Now, now this is the first thing. The first thing we encountered in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, if you want to grow up and you want to be like Jesus, you want to think the way like he thinks, you have to be willing to go against the flow. You have to be willing to stand against the culture because there's many times when the culture is going to be going left and Jesus is going to say, you've got to go right. And if you're not willing to stand up and do what he says, if you're just going to go with the culture, you're never going to be truly wise. You're never going to live, learn to live life like he, he wants us to live. He gave us an example in chapter 1. Remember he said, he says, uh, remember the, the Corinthians were totally taken with the philosophy of their day, weren't they? They were the Greek philosophers, remember that? And they were in the philosophy of their day and and they wanted to be just like the culture around them. And Paul says, hey, time out. He says, will you stop and remember what we believe as Christians? What we believe as Christians is that a crucified Jew in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, that we believe he's the creator of the cosmos, the God of the universe, who died for our sins, who rose again to give you and I a new life. He says, most of the world thinks we're crazy. He says, this is how you become a Christian, by believing something that most of the world thinks is crazy. He says, guess what? If you want to keep growing as a Christian, you're going to have to keep believing things the world thinks is crazy. He says, because the true wisdom of God is that it's the truth. It is the truth. And so he says, if you want to grow up, you're going to have to be willing to be at odds with your culture at times. If you want to grow up spiritually, you have to be willing to be different. If you're not willing to be different, you're never going to grow up. And so he says there in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember this? He said, if any of you thinks he's wise by the standards of this age, then he, has, he should become a fool so that he may become truly wise, right? So as a church, what's that mean for us? Are we going to try to be politically co correct? No. <laughs> We're going to try to be correct, right? We want to be correct. We want to be where the truth is, where Jesus is. Then if we stand out sometimes or we're against the culture, that's exactly where we should be. If we're, not, if we're always with the culture on every issue, it means something is wrong because we know Jesus isn't, right? Number one, okay, we're called to be countercultural. Number two, the second word is supernatural. The second lesson we learned that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be supernatural people. And the tagline goes like this, following Jesus is a supernatural journey from beginning to end. Now you remember this, right? We've talked about this, that when you give your life to Jesus, you start a supernatural journey. It is supernatural from beginning to end. And I thought what would be fun on this one is just to go over some verses together. Now, I put a bunch there on your note sheet. We're not going to read through them one by one, but I'm just going to walk you through them. You can kind of check them out later uh, if you want to reflect back. But if, for example, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, that, hey, when, when you first came to Jesus, God called you into fellowship with his son. It wasn't your idea. He did it. And it says, in fact, he will continue to make, he's so faithful, he'll bring you through this from beginning to end so that you'll be blameless when he comes back. God's at work in your life from beginning to end. Then in chapter 2, he says, you know, in fact, when I came to you in Corinth and I preached the gospel, my message, it wasn't in wise and persuasive words. It was in a demonstration of the Spirit's power in your life. So your, your faith would be not in me, but your faith would be on God. Later on in chapter 2, he says, you know, when the Holy Spirit came to our lives, that he gave us, a, he filled us with understanding so we could understand what's really true about life. He said the non-believing world, they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's why they can't see this. 
He says, that's why we're going to seem countercultural because we have the spirit and the eyes to see. Uh, later on in chapter 4, he says, the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of talk, but it's a, of power. In chapter 6, he says that your body and my body are temples of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us. In chapter 10, he says, when it comes to temptation, we're not on our own, that the Holy Spirit will show us the way of escape if we're willing to take it. In chapter 12, he says, when we come to Christ, we receive a supernatural spiritual gift and some later in order to serve him more effectively. In chapter 15, he says that when Jesus comes back, that our bodies will be transformed to be like his. You see what I'm saying? From beginning to end, the Christian life is a supernatural journey. And so many times in Christian circles, we tone it down and we think that we, we come to Jesus, oh, that's a miracle, but then we're pretty much on our own from that point on. No, the message of the New Testament is if you and I are going to become like Jesus, it is a supernatural process from beginning to end. And we want to be a church that embraces that and says, God, we are here. We're your people. We set the sail. You blow the wind. We can go nowhere without you. We want you to lead us. We want you to guide us. We want you to transform us. We want you to change us. We want you to empower us. We want you to equip us. We cannot do this thing without you. You are strength. You are life. We can't do it without you, right? So we're a supernatural church. Number three. The third key lesson we learned is about maturity and what true maturity looks like. And it goes like this. Maturity is best measured by character. Now, I hope this is one of those lessons that just sinks down deep into us as a congregation. Remember the, uh, the Corinthians, that they saw themselves as so wise and so mature. Remember that? Look there on your note sheet, that first verse. Paul says, I couldn't address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? You see, they saw themselves as spiritual, so mature. Why? Because they had all these spiritual experiences, because they had all these spiritual gifts, and they had a lot of head knowledge, a lot of spiritual knowledge. They thought, we are so wise. And Paul says, no, you're babies. You're spiritual babies. Well, how did he know? Because their relationships were so messed up. Paul says, if you want to see what true spiritual maturity looks like, it looks like character. It looks like becoming like Jesus, and we measure it especially by the quality of our relationships. Remember what he said in chapter 13, the top priority is love. Remember that? And so there in your note sheet, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love. Doesn't matter how gifted I am, but I have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So we want to be a church that measures love or measures maturity in the right way, that we we draw the right target on the side of the wall that we're shooting for. Are we growing in love? Are we learning to take care of one another? Are we giving up our rights? Remember how Paul would give up his rights, do whatever it takes so people could come to Christ. Remember, he'd get the tattoo, he'd do whatever. Remember that one? Yeah, okay. Are we learning to work through conflict? Remember the conflict they had and they were taking each other to court. You see, these are the things that are the marks of maturity. Now, are spiritual power a good thing? Yes. Spiritual gifts a good thing? Yes. Spiritual knowledge a good thing? Yes, they're all good things. But they're not the best way to measure our maturity. Okay? Number four. The fourth lesson we learned was about leadership. And it goes like this. Leaders are servants and not celebrities. Celebrities. 
It's so awesome. You know, they have a time clock at the back for me so I don't go on for four hours. It's supposed to start, you know, like at 45 minutes and go down. Today it's going up, so we're going to be here for a long time. Just want to let you know, we're at 54 minutes. I think, awesome, the more I speak, the more I get. This is, this is great, just keep going. Let's hope you don't have another plan. Oh, I've got that thing tonight. I've got to go to. Okay, well, we're going. All right. So leaders are uh, servants, they're not celebrities. Um, remember how this came up, that the, the Corinthians weren't impressed with the Apostle Paul. Remember that? They weren't impressed. He wasn't much of a speaker in their mind. He wasn't that great of a speaker. Um, he didn't have the right resume, didn't have the right credentials. They weren't sure his motives were all that great. And so they were really questioning his leadership. And so if you remember, he took two chapters, chapters three and four, and we spent a couple of weeks on this and talked about leadership, what healthy leadership looks like. Remember we talked about how a, a church or an organization can never grow, become more healthy than the leadership that it's been given. We talked about that. And the Apostle Paul, remember he taught us so many important lessons about leadership, but my favorite lesson, I mean the most important one, was when he talked, just, uh, he, he said when God puts us in a place of leadership, it's not all about us, right? So when God makes you, uh, if, he's, if you're a husband of a family, uh, yes, you're in a leadership role, but it's not about you. If God puts you over leading a Sunday school class, if God puts you in a place of leadership at your uh, work, if he raises you to a place of leadership in, in the community or in the church, it's not about you. That leadership is about service, right? And Paul says, and when God puts you in that place of leadership, don't forget God's going to hold you accountable for that. You're going to have to re- answer for that, and he'll either reward you or hold you accountable either way, but make sure we're clear. Remember he said, don't worry about uh, pleasing others. Make sure you're pleasing your head boss, that that's the one you report to. And so there on your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What after all is Apollos? And what's Paul? We're just servants. See, leadership is about service through whom you came to believe. And so we want to be a church that is constantly developing healthy leadership. It's all about service. Number five. The fifth lesson is about accountability. And it goes like this. The church discipline is essential. This is a hard one. This is one that really flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? We, we talked about this as that we, we got there. It's like, oh, we, we live in a culture today that, hey, it's my business. It's none of your business. And we said, no, 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 no. The moment you signed up to become a follower of Jesus, your business became my business. And my business became your business because we're in this thing together. If you're a follower of Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus, we're in the same family now. And there's family dynamics that go on here. And so Paul says, hey, we're in this thing together. It's not just between you and Jesus. It's between you and Jesus and all of us. And so then he, laid, he kind of uh, laid it out. He said, so if you, he says, if you have someone in the body of Christ, in the family of God, in the community of God, who they claim to be a believer, right? They're a follower of Jesus. So yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet they're really blowing off Jesus in some major significant area of their life. And Paul gave us some examples, remember? He says, you need to hold them accountable. He said, it's really important for a couple reasons. He said, number one, it's important because if you don't, sin will spread in the body. If there's, if there's blatant sin going in the body of Christ, in a life group, in our church or whatever, we just wink at it and just, we'll just pray for them that they'll get over it. He says, it's not going to get over it. What's going to happen is other people in the life group are going to start saying, well, maybe I could get, get away with that, you see? He says, it's contagious, so you got to deal with it. But he said, secondly, it's the most loving thing to do for them. 
Because when we allow someone to go high-handed disobedience with Jesus, and yet we're hanging out with them as if Jesus' people are okay with this, we're sending them the wrong message. The most loving thing we can do is do a spiritual intervention. We come and we say, hey, you know, we love you. We care about you. We're going to hold you accountable for this. And Paul says, and if someone won't refuse us to be held accountable, he says, and you have to say, we love you, but we can't have you a part of this fellowship until you're, you're willing to submit. And so here's how he put it there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 5. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the people of this world outside the church who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. That's the key phrase. Self-identifies as a follower of Jesus, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler with such a man, do not even eat. So Paul says there's times we have to draw lines in the body of Christ. We have to have boundaries. So we want to be a church of accountability, that we're serious about following Jesus at Rocky Peak. We're not a people here that say, oh yeah, we're followers of Jesus, but whatever you want to do. No. Now, if you've not given your life to Jesus yet, that's between you and the Lord. We love having you here. You say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I want to live like I want. Great, keep coming. We'd love to have you. But when you, when you step into the family of God, then you can step under family rules, you see? And family rules means we help each other grow, okay? So that's number five. Number six. Number six has to do with sexual purity. And it goes like this. Sexual purity, we learn this, is a non-negotiable. You remember this? Apostle Paul talked to us in chapter 6. He says, you know what? He says, I, I understand this. You live in a sex-charged society. He says, I understand this, that there in Corinth, that you have people that are teaching that there's really no link between our spirituality, our relationship with God, and our sexuality, what we do with our bodies. And that, that's the common teaching of our culture today, Right? You see this all the time in Hollywood. It's like someone's like, oh, we're really spiritual and we we're, we're, have this own spirituality. And yet, you know, their lives are like sexually like crazy, right? That's very much the teaching of our culture. No connection between our spirituality and our sexuality. And Paul comes and says, hey, time out here. You got that all wrong. Here's the, the truth of the matter is your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit is within you. And when you, when you um, sin sexually, when you, when you live out immorality, what happens is it damages you in a unique way, different than any other sin. He says sexual immorality is a unique sin because of the damage it havocs, uh, wreaks havoc against your soul. And he says on top of that, because you have a, you're spiritually connected with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, when you connect yourself with someone else physically, it actually brings Jesus into the mix. You see? And so it's just a serious business. And so he says there on your note sheet, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee or run from sexual immorality. All, all other sins... A, man's, a man commits or outside his body or outside his self. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body or his own self. Do you not know that your body, it's a temple, the Holy Spirit, who, you have, uh, who is in you, whom you have received from, uh, from God. You're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God and, with your body. And so we want to be a church that takes Jesus seriously. We want to honor God with our bodies here at Rocky Peak. If we're married, we want to be faithful to our marriages, Right? Amen. We're going to help each other with that. Uh, if we're single, we're going to help each other say no 
to spiritual temptation. Um, we're going to stand for that sex is for men and women in a covenant, lifelong marriage relationship. It's not for alternative lifestyles, right? This is one of those areas where alternative, where we're countercultural, right? It's one of those things. And so, so our, what God says is that our sexuality and our spirituality are linked at the core. What we do with our bodies really matters. In a culture that says your body doesn't matter, you're like an animal. Doesn't matter what you do with your body. God says, no, your bodies are amazing. Your bodies are temples. Your bodies are special. So guard your bodies, okay? Number six. Number seven. Number seven was the lesson we learned about marriage. And it goes like this. Marriage is a good thing. Make it work. <laughs> There's some chuckles. Like, are you sure? <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you should have seen us on the way here. <laughs> uh, we have a marriage recovery group as well coming. Uh, 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 this is great. Remember, remember what was happening in Corinth? Remember what was going on there? Uh, people were coming to Christ. Uh, some of the, them were both Christians and they're married. Uh, some were uh, married to a non-Christian. Uh, some were single. And there's a lot of questions. Uh, there's a lot of questions like, well, hey, we're, we're Christians now. We're married. We're both Christians. Um, should we stay together? Is that okay? Is it okay to have sex? Is that like God's okay with that? And what do you think? And, and Paul says, oh, marriage is a good thing. He says, yeah, if you're, if you're married, yeah, you need to make your sexual life a priority in your marriage. It's a tremendous gift. Well, hey, Paul, but I'm married to a non-Christian. My husband, he still goes out partying at the pagan festival, worshiping the idols. You want me to stay in this relationship? And, and have, we're still having sex, and you just talked about us being unified and so on. It's like, am I, like, defiling myself because my husband's not a believer? He's like, oh, no, no, marriage is a good thing. Stay in your marriage and make it work and, and love your husband or love your wife if she's not a believer because maybe through you they'll come to know Jesus. Well, how about me, Paul? I'm single. Should I just stay single or should I get married or I was planning on getting married? He said, oh no, marriage is a good thing. He said, hey, there's some tremendous advantages to being single. Don't rush off into this. But if you, if you don't have that gift, go ahead and get married. Just make sure it's a believer. You've got to marry a Christian, right? So he's got some practical things. But through it all, he says, if you're married, make it work. And remember we talked about what that means. Make it work does not mean what it's often meant in Christian circles. It means stay regardless and just gut it and kind of grit it out. That's not what make it work. Make it work means as followers of Jesus, let's learn how to love one another in our marriages. Husbands, let's learn how to love our wives and lead well and lay down our lives. Wives, let's learn to respect our husband's leadership and love thoroughly, you see. So Paul says that if we're Christians, as followers of Jesus, this whole command of loving one another, it starts at home. And the most important person for me to learn to love well in my life is my wife. It starts there, right? And so as, as a church, we want to stand for marriage. In a, in a culture that increasingly has throwaway marriages, we want to stand against that. We want to say, no, Jesus came to bring peace and he came to bring reconciliation and it starts at home. And if we've got a lousy marriage, let's see how we can fix it, not slow it away, right? So marriage is a good thing. Let's make it work. Number eight. Number eight deals with gray areas. And we learned that there's a difference between essentials and non-essentials. 
I think this is one of the most important lessons for the book of Corinth for us as a, as a church. We want to be a healthy church is that there's a difference between essentials and non-essentials. And so we talked about this. Essentials, those things that Christians have always believed, they're at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The things you cannot not believe and still be a Christian. Who Jesus is, how we're saved, the authority of God's word, submitting our lives to God's word. Some of the key doctrines, like we studied when the resurrection, right? That, that Jesus died and rose again so we could be raised too. These are the essentials. Okay? Then we learn that there are other things. They're called the non-essentials, things that are also important areas, but that Christians who love God and study his word, that they don't always agree with, don't always agree on. Now, a good example from here was meat sacrifice to li- idols. And Paul says, in the areas of essentials, no compromise. We can't compromise. But in the area of non-essentials, that we need to give room for disagreement, even give room for each other to be wrong, and it's more important to guard the relationship and get along than it is to be right in everything, right? And this is one of the keys to a healthy church, so we understand this, this distinction. So the way he puts it in 1 Corinthians 8.1, there in your note sheet, knowledge puffs up, gives us a big head, <laughs> but love builds up, okay? And so we want to be a church that we are, have absolutely no compromise on the essentials, but we're willing to give grace and freedom and difference of opinion, even the right to be wrong, as we're all growing together towards the truth in the area of non-essentials. Number nine. The ninth area is spiritual gifts. That each of us is gifted to serve. Remember, this was an important lesson, wasn't it? That in the body of Christ, when you came to Jesus, that there's certain supernatural abilities that God gave you to serve. Uh, sometimes you receive other supernatural gifts later on. And, we, and Paul spent three chapters on this, talking how important this is. He said it's like, the, like a human body. It has many different members, but they're all playing an important part. Some of us have gifts that are clearly going to seem supernatural. Others of us have gifts that won't be as clearly supernatural. Paul says they're all important. In fact, sometimes the gifts that seem less important are actually the most important. So so it's really vital that each of us discovers our gifts, finds that place to serve because the body can't happen without it. It can't grow and be healthy without it. So there in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit. Catch it. Each one, every one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit in this context, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, that is given for the common good. It's to given to build each other up. And so we want to be a place that we help each person at Rocky Peak find your gift, your unique niche, how God has created you, how he's gifted you to serve, to make a difference for now and eternity. Because if we do that, it'll be your path to fulfillment, but it'll be your path to significance as well as the body of Christ grows, as we each find our gifts, so we each serve. And then number 10. Number 10 goes like this, that the next life, it's about the next life. And we just say this a couple of weeks, that the, this life is all about the next life. You remember this one? Remember when Paul says, hey, 
I know you have some people there in Corinth who are teaching that when you die, your spirit goes on, your body, don't get your body back. It's just sort of the end. He says, that's not true. He says, the fact is, Jesus died and rose again. He's a prototype of the new creation. The whole reason he died and rose again was so we can die and raise again. He got a new body. We're getting a new body. It's amazing. It's just like his. There's going to be a whole new universe. You and I are going to be there. We're going to know each other. We're going to be part of it. It's an incredible thing coming. And because of that, we need to live every day in light of that day. It's all about eternity. This life, is just, it's, this life is just what we call the lobby into eternity. Remember that? It's just this is where we get our popcorn. This is the popcorn world, right? But then we're going to go on into real life. And so Paul says, so knowing that, and the way we make our decisions, and our values, and our choices, the way we approach our suffering, the way we approach our pain, our, our priorities, just the way we live, that it needs to be lived in light of that reality, that this life is just, it's like the high school of, of the world. High school of eternity. And so we're moving towards graduation day. So the way he puts it there in your note sheet, 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When he comes back, you'll be rewarded. And so we want to be a church that lives in the light of eternity. I want to encourage you. I need you to encourage me. When I get too earthbound to remind me, Mike, it's not about this life. It's, about, it's all about that life. So what can we do to get ready? And how can we take as many people with us as possible? This is what it's all about. This life is all about the next life. Okay? So there you go. Top 10 lessons. Let's, let's run through them real quick there. You got to look at your note sheet. Let's wrap this thing up. Okay, so... We're called, first of all, as a church, to be countercultural. There's going to be times we stand against the culture. We're called to be supernatural. This, this Christian life we're a part of, it's not a natural thing. It's not just sit, go through the motions at church. No, no, no. We're a supernatural people. God wants to engage with us. Number three is about maturity. We're going to measure maturity at Rocky Peak. Not by all these other things, but are we becoming like Jesus, and especially by the quality of our relationships. Leadership, we're going to insist on it here, that as leaders we grow, the leaders are servants. We grow in our leadership. Accountability, we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to take this whole Christian life seriously. When it comes to our marriages, oh, sexual purity, sorry, uh, sexual purity, we're going to take that seriously. Number seven, our marriages, we're going to learn it together how to make them work in gray areas. We're going to hold on to the essentials. We're going to give grace in non-essentials. And spiritual gifts, we're going to become a congregation that learns how to develop and use them for the, for the uh, glory of God. And then number 10, we're going to be a congregation that lives in the reality of the coming kingdom, what God has. Now, amen. As, you want to be a part of a church like that? Amen. I'm excited about that. Yeah, what, what a church that will be as we move into our future. Now, Here's the thing. You know, every one of us comes to a point in our life. I don't know if you've ever come to this point in your life, so you can just think. It's not a show of hands thing, but every one of us has to come to a point in our life that when Jesus says go to the right and we think it's smarter to go to the left, we have to decide which way we're going to follow. You know what I'm saying? Every one of us. For most of us, it's like when Jesus says go right and we think he's he's right on the money, we think he's making the smart call, we're like, Praise the Lord. You got that one so right. <laughs> but have you ever experienced that? It's like Jesus says, go to the right. And you're saying, you're kidding me. Go to the right? Are you crazy? No, no, no. What you meant is the left. Maybe back then, 2,000 years ago, it looked right, but it's really to the left we need to go. Have you ever been there? 
And this is how many of us live the Christian life. It's like whenever Jesus happens to say what we think he should be saying, we go, praise the Lord. Let me raise my hands to that one. And when Jesus goes over, it's like, oh, that one's really weird. I, I don't get that one. Let's move on to one that I get, right? All right. So, so in the life of every Christian, there comes a day where we have to decide when Jesus says go right, and we think everything about me says it's the left, my family upbringing, the way I was raised, what my spouse thinks, um, you know, what else can you throw in there, what, what I've been taught traditionally, uh, what I've been taught in the past, you know, every one of us comes up, but when Jesus says go right, and it's clearly he's going right, but everything within me says go left, what do we do? Now, this is the most important decision you make in terms of this whole change in the way you think because if we always just go with Jesus when he says go right when we think it's the right move, guess what? We're never going to grow. We only grow when he says go left. And we're going, really? You're killing me. <laughs> Are you serious? And then we bow the knee and say, you know what? It makes no sense to me, but since you're Jesus and I'm not, I'm going to go left. Can I tell you what? Those are the growth moments in our life. That's where the transformation comes, and it's the only place transformation comes. Do you understand that's the only place transformation comes is those days, those times? And so in every one of our life, we have to come to a place where we say, okay, how am I going to do life? Am I going to change the way I think? Remember what Paul said, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll experience God's will for your life, what's good and perfect and pleasing. Our mind has to be transformed before we can experience God's will. See that? If we don't change the way we think, we can never experience it. So in wrapping this thing up, I wanted to have a time of communion. You know, in the early church, communion was a couple things. We studied this in 1 Corinthians 11. Communion is all about, first of all, reflecting on Jesus' death for us and what it means for us, right? But it's also a time for you and I to reflect on our own lives, isn't it? And to ask ourselves a question, okay, is there any area of my life where I'm calling Jesus Lord, but I'm not making him Lord? And if there is, it's a time for us to realign and say, okay, I'm out of line. I need to bring my life in alignment. And so as we end this series, I want to give you a chance to do that. In a couple of minutes, the band's going to come and Charlotte's going to sing a song. It's familiar, Amazing Grace. And I'd just like you to reflect. As she's singing that song, I'd like you to reflect on your life. Is there any area in this series especially that we've talked about, maybe these 10 areas, where you need to change the way you think? Jesus is clearly saying going right. You want to go left, and you've been putting him off. And I'd like this to be a time where today, if you've never had a time like this, you submit to the authority of Jesus in your life, the authority of his word. And then after you do that, I would like you to come when we come to take communion, not only bowing your own knee to Jesus in a fresh and new way, but I would like you to come as a representative of the church at Rocky Peak. Now, whether you're a member or not, it's not important to me. If this is your church home and you're a follower of Jesus, that's what's important to me. If this is your church home and you're a follower of Jesus, as you come, I'd like you to make a commitment just between you and the Lord, but say, Lord, as a representative of Rocky Peak, I'm, putting, I'm casting my vote today that I want to be a part of a church that changes the way they think. I'm in. I really want to do this thing. I want to be a part of a church that takes Jesus seriously, and even if we're out of line, that he shows us that we will move as a church to get in line. I want to be a part of that. Paul says that when we take communion, 
It's not only an individual act between us and the Lord, it's a corporate act because even as there's one body and one loaf, we are one people. And so as we come to the communion today, I'd like to challenge you to make those two commitments. You will be a follower of Jesus, so when he says right, go right, and you want to go left, you will change the way you think. And secondly, and if there is any specific area that you submit, secondly, that as a church, as a member or a representative of Rocky Peak, if this is your church home, then I'd ask you to cast your vote and say before the Lord in a solemn way, Lord, as a part of the church of Rocky Peak, your body here, I'm in. I want to kind of enlist behind you that this is a church. We will follow you come hell or high water where you lead. And if we're out of line, we will adjust. We will adjust to you. We will not ask you to adjust to us. Amen? Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Thank you.